Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Have you ever dated a mama's boy? Have you ever married a mama's boy? If so, this conversation is for you. We've talked about enmeshment on the podcast a few times. In episode 108 called When Close is Too Close, Enmeshment and Differentiation with Mary Beth Samich, LPC. And then more recently in episode 183 called Is Your Family Sabotaging Your Love Life with psychotherapist Elliot Anderson. This is a topic that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and researching because it's related to the topic of my dissertation, individuation from family of origin and identity development in college students. Enmeshment is very tricky. We tend to think that closeness is great when we're close and loving. It's such a wonderful bond of intimacy, but too much closeness can be a problem. We can be too close for comfort if the closeness is suffocating, if the closeness comes with unreasonable expectations, if the closeness prevents us from being an independent, autonomous adult who is capable of having appropriate, healthy adult relationships. And this is the element that we'll look at today with our guest, Jody O'Brien, who was married to a man who was and is enmeshed with his mother. Here's a little bit more about Jody. Jody O'Brien is the words and lived experience behind enmeshment truths, where she shares her personal insights into the emotional challenges inside a 12-year marriage to a mother enmeshed man. Now separated and navigating her own healing with empathic determination, she's passionate about growing awareness of what she calls a silent, relentless erosion into the independent adult life everyone deserves to live and enjoy. She's driven to help women all around the world see the red flags a mother-enmeshed man waves and be better empowered to address the issue or, as she regularly says, choose you. And leave because you deserve better. My conversation with Jodi O'Brien, right after this. When I come across an empowered woman who's all about empowering others, I want to share her journey with you, which is exactly why I invited Brooke Mullen of Sapan to the program in episode 190. Sapan's luxury leather bags and accessories not only look good, they're helping make the world a more beautiful place by honoring the basic human rights of workers throughout their value chain. They fully embrace a regenerative business model that prioritizes personal empowerment over charity. And human rights is at the heart of all Sapan does. If you're all about this, buy a beautiful bag and uphold human rights life, head over to Sapan.com and use promo code LOVEANDLIFE for 15% off your purchase. That's Sapan, S-A-P-A-H-N.com and promo code LOVEANDLIFE. Jody, welcome to the program. 
Thanks for having me. It's awesome to be here. Enmeshment is a topic that is so important for us to consider our family of origin and our dynamics therein. And one of the things that so often as women and men, we enter adulthood and sometimes we think we've laid to rest some of those dysfunctional components of our childhood relationships with our parents. And yet, as we get a couple of relationships under our belt, we start to realize that some of those patterns that are working themselves out in real time in our relationships in adulthood actually do harken back to those dynamics in childhood. And so, Jody, I know that you've been through it with this type of, of concern and you are here to share your story. So start at the beginning and let the listener know what you went through and even the beginning, the early days where things look so perfect, but maybe some of the signs that, that red flags that were waving that perhaps you didn't take note of and just let them know your journey. And I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share this with my audience. Absolutely. My pleasure. If I can flag things to women that are uh, identifying some things in their relationships that they kind of go, oh, that's a bit off and, and help them get some context around it, then my job is done and I want to do it a thousand, a million times over. But I guess my story started, I met my soon-to-be ex, we're separated now, but we met in the early 2000s. We we were both what we would call clean skins. I had had a, and clean skins, let's just talk a bit of Australian here, that's kind of when you okay. get together and neither of you have been married before or have any kids. So you kind of come together with supposedly no baggage, but you know, mm-hmm. I guess you get to a certain age and everybody's got baggage, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, we're humans. We carry it with us. <laughs> I think for the two of us, we had both come from, you know, solid family backgrounds in terms of, you know, neither of our parents were divorced. So, you know, on paper, people go, well, that's great. You know, that's, that's a common theme. That's really healthy, all those sorts of things. What I think you discover when you are trying to bring two families together and two family ideals sets together is that things are very different. And I came from a very independent driven family dynamic in that the way that my family kind of operated and I'm adopted. So, you know, I was always told that I was the special child that everybody waited for. So, you know, I don't have any kind of hangups about being adopted. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the special child. That's fine. (laughs) But my mum and dad had always said to me, you know, if you reach for the sky and you fall on the ground, just pick yourself up and go again. Don't ever be afraid to try new things, to venture into new new grounds and be you. Don't be hanging on to us forever because you need to live your own life. Mm -hmm. And there was never any tactics of guilt or fear or manipulation in our family. What I discovered as I got to know my ex, now now ex-husband's family, was that a lot of their dynamic was based around fear and guilt. And I remember kind of thinking, that's a little bit strange, but whenever I questioned it and whenever I said I really don't think that's fair to be manipulated like that, I would almost get a bit of gaslighting in that, well, that's the way our family is. You're obviously not as close to your family as what Mm -hmm. I am. So I think when you you enter into a relationship that you see a long-term future and a degree of seriousness in, you go, well, okay, you know, not everything comes easily. There's things that you've got to work out. There's things that you've got to compromise. There's things that you've got to adapt to. 
this is clearly just one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And look, there were some red flags in the beginning that I kind of just went, this is, you know, this is not great and this is not healthy, but what are we going to do about it together? And there was multitudes of promises of, but this will change and this will change and then we'll do this and then we'll do that. And I'm going to describe something that I would best kind of visualise as breadcrumbing in that the enmeshed man is very good at dropping enough breadcrumbs to constantly keep you feeling as though stuff is going to change. But eventually what happens is you become numbingly adapt to these behaviours, these dynamics, these exchanges with his family that you just kind of go, well, obviously that's just our version of normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the sad conditioning that kind of happens in a relationship with a mother enmeshed man because whilst I have, and I've done a lot of research over the last couple of years since we had a diagnosis 12 years into the marriage, mind you, that was a killer. (laughs) But, and that's part of the problem, right, Karen, is that there are so many psychologists that really don't have a a, a great depth of knowledge of identifying enmeshment. Mm Mm-hmm. And the mother enmeshed man is incredibly good at facades. And and I call them his survival shield because he's been doing it for a long time to get by in an adult life where his sense of self-worth and his development of maturity and ability to cope with situations has been so suffocated by his mother's insistence of being involved in every decision and having an opinion about everything that they develop this brave kind of facade that it is so believable but the cracks start to show over time. There are so many points that you made that I think are really important to underscore. First of all that this notion of what love looks like in a family and to your point yes when you marry someone, when you start to partner with someone, you do recognize that, yeah, your family dynamics and your family customs and culture, so to speak, will be different than theirs. And you want to be open and accepting and you don't want to be rigid about, well, that's the way we do it in my family. So that has to be the way you do it in your family. So in those early days and even early years, you want to be so flexible. And it sounds like you did too. And you didn't want to be accusatory. But then because he's in this mother enmeshed situation and has constructed this shield, as you put it, the survival shield, he was very quick to not offer you the same grace. When you would point something out, it was, well, you're just not as close as us. Your family isn't close. And that's one of the things that gaslighting that you spoke to is one of the things that essentially he was being gaslit by his family, that closeness means suffocation. Closeness and love mean enmeshment. And that was his reality. And it sounds like there was no breaking free of that. No, and I think what tended to happen over time because we moved away from the family hometown for a number of years, probably I guess half of our time together, and there was just always this guilt factor that came into play of, oh, it would be so much better if you, you know, you were back in our hometown again. Can't you find a job back here? And it there was what I found in that was the difference between my family and his family was, you know what, like if you find your dream job in Alaska, then 
go and live in Alaska. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. not that I would go and live in Alaska. I don't like the cold, but <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, there was never any expectation from my family that I had to be close by to them. Whereas with my partner's family, there was this constant guilt cloud that hung over him and it was oppressive to the point, you know, there was an expectation that there would be a daily phone call check-in. Wow. And from that phone call, Karen, the mood, situation, circumstance and whatever was going on in their life became something that transferred into his mood and into his state of mind and he would get into a heightened sense of worry about, you know, well, if I was there, I'd be able to help out. And I just, over time, I just found that that became so increasingly unfair and suffocating to Mm. us having our own life. Yeah, it's, of course, boundaries come to mind. Of course, this sense of responsibility for adult family matters that really, once we're adults and we've launched and we're on our own, there's now a point that some of the family dynamics and and experiences, certainly with our adult parents, as they are now navigating their marriage as empty nesters, that's none of our business. No, it's not. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's unloving for a mother to share all this information about what's going on with her adult life with her husband, which typically is the father of the, the young person trying to launch and to start his own marriage and his own life apart from his parents. It's really abusive, but people don't see it that way. They think, no, like we said earlier, this is what love looks like. And I love my parents. So it's my job to go swoop in. I wish I could be there to help. Well, A, you really probably can't do much anyway. B, even if you could, it's not your responsibility. And I think that's where the lines just get so diabolically and devastatingly blurred for the mother-enmeshed man because he sees the opportunity to have a life with someone that he's fallen in love with. And from what I've seen, certainly with a lot of the amazing, gorgeous, brave women that contact me on my Instagram page, and I, I just started that almost a bit of as a bit of cathartic kind of expression for myself. But what I've found is that there's so many women that message me and go, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> your life is parallel to mine. Right, right. Um, so I feel, you know, a sense of great relief and kind of I, I, I guess I'm not doing it to make me feel good, but I'm really glad that it's actually helping other women identify stuff that's going on that they can now actually research further for themselves. I guess I say this with love and compassion because I think that the mother enmeshed man is such a silent victim and for most of his life, perhaps even sometimes for all of his life, because not all men will actually get the clarity or get the light bulb moment that actually identifies what's been going on with the way that their their mother and their family dynamics have affected their ability to live a true, independent, full and enjoyable adult life. Mm. But I think... There is so much fear and control behind the way a mother who is an enmesher behaves. And I say this with love and compassion for her as well. You know, I've really been very conscious of of really removing a lot of the frustration and, and, you know, that kind of negative human emotion that we divert to where we go, you know, I really hate that this has happened and I'm really, you know, I'm completely pissed that this has, you know, wasted this time in my life. It is what it is, Karen, right? So you've just got yeah. to heal from it and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> Wise words. Yes. Well, all the hate and all the anger in the world is only going to make me an angry and hateful person. And that's that's really not who I am. And one of the things that I discovered when we had a psychologist basically sort of diagnosed within a very short period of time, actually, I was just like, where have you been all my life? Why didn't I meet you 10 years ago? But she sort of asked a series of trigger questions and she sort of stopped my partner probably about 10, 15 minutes into his responses. And she said, look, I'm going to be really straight with you. You have a very deep case of family enmeshment the questions that I've asked you, you should have, as a married man, answered in the context of your wife. And really all you've done for the last 10 or 15 minutes is talk about your mother, your sister and your father. Wow. That was confronting to hear. Because all of those answers, Karen, I'd heard that stuff throughout all of our marriage. So for me, I was numb to it. Mm -hmm. But then when someone slapped that on the table and just went, this is what is going on, and this is the cold, hard reality of it. And she pretty much followed that up with, if you don't address this aggressively with some professional psychotherapy and a real desire and want and commitment to change, she said, I have very, very little doubt that you will you will not be married in, in a year's time. She said, I'm, I'm actually really surprised that this very independent, confident, gorgeous, amazing woman has tolerated this for so long. Well, and it speaks to what you mentioned earlier is that that conditioning had started to happen where even some of the things that probably early on seemed odd and off and inappropriate to you. You mentioned the breadcrumbing and we think of breadcrumbing usually in the context of a dating relationship, keeping someone just, just at hand's reach and just there when you want them. But the same thing can be said in the context of a marriage where he would reach out just enough to keep you believing that, that you did have that emotional intimacy that a husband and wife want to have and should have. And yet then he would pull back and then devote most of his emotional intimacy to his mother. That's Absolutely correct. And there's the flip side of that as well. I think in my experience with certainly some of the ladies that I've spoken to on my DMs and stuff like that, but a lot of the research that I've done, there is a beautiful, loving, caring and very engaging side of these mother enmeshed men. And they've learnt over the years to develop that because that's how they attract the women that they so desperately want to be in their life. But what happens when that woman becomes connected, in love, committed and and part of his world is the good old loyalty bind just shows up and goes, hey, mum's just over here and remember who comes first. Mm-hmm. And it's there are, there are so many subtleties in amongst this whole journey, Karen, that it's not until you are stepping back from, and I, I often use the analogy of, wow, I'm just looking back at the scene of a multi-car pileup and going, why didn't I see that coming, you know? Like how did I not see how that was? It's like seeing stuff in slow motion when you are empowered with knowledge, when you are empowered with your own kind of therapy and healing journey where you you actually sort of start to understand that you haven't been crazy and you haven't been demanding. Not that I didn't get accused of that a lot, but I think there was just such a frustration and a a torn loyalties subconscious 
almost like a magnetic field that was kind of operating within the relationship that was just so dysfunctional. But again, the conditioning kicks in and you go, well, okay, this is clearly my version of marriage. And your own fears kick in there as well because you go, well, you know, I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life, but I can tell you right now what I've discovered in the last couple of years, I would rather be alone and happy than married and miserable every day of the goddamn week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. But as you say, there's no greater loneliness than feeling alone in the partnership in which you expect and, and deeply hope to have the most intimacy. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So I'm just so struck by your compassion for all the parties involved. And as a woman who has every right to be frustrated, you really see the the bind that your ex-husband was in and or soon to be ex that, that he was in by virtue of the sensitivity and the love that he had been taught was the way that he must demonstrate love to his mother. And that, of course, she's probably along the way his mother was lacking some emotional intimacy from either her husband or something that was amiss in her childhood. And so she had cultivated this inappropriately enmeshed relationship with her son, but that no one set out to make a mess of everything. So I'm really struck by how how just compassionate you are with everyone. And I think that that really speaks to your character and who you are in the midst of it. And it, it also makes me think when I think about a mother enmeshed man, how he would probably be very attractive to women in general because he has learned to be very in tune with a woman's desire. In this case, unfortunately, his mother's, but that I could see in the early days that maybe he had that added bit of sensitivity that some men lack. And so it could be confusing early on. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. So explain that and how that might have been, again, one of the things that would have been hard to detect early on. Yeah. So when we first met, um, you know, there was definitely a level of emotional sensitivity and emotional intelligence. And I guess a love that I had not necessarily experienced at that depth with other relationships that I'd had. You know, I'd had some great relationships, but most of them were Mr. I don't want to commit, Mr. I'd rather hang out with my mates and just catch up with you occasionally, or just Mr. Completely Emotionally Unavailable. So I think when we met, there was just, there there was a level of really loving and caring and he wasn't shy to cry in movies. And, you know, he just seemed really kind of, I guess, emotionally open. And he is still very much that person. And, you know, we have great conversations now and, you know, I hope that we will continue to maintain some form of friendship post-divorce, whether that happens or not, who knows, it is what it is. But he really 
struggled along the way as as our relationship developed to cast aside the need for parental approval and endorsement. Mm-hmm. And for me, coming from a family where my mum and dad were like, it's your own life, sunshine. We'll always be here to help you, but you need to make your own decisions. You need to live with them. You need to understand how you're going to support them. You're going to need to understand how you're going to be responsible for them. And basically, you know, you're an adult. Suck it up. Um, and there wasn't any kind of um, dismissal in that. It was just, you know, you're an adult. You've got your life. We're adults. We've got our life. Yeah. Whereas with my ex's family, it was very much the need for endorsement and acceptance. And and often there was there was a fear of not consulting them about life decisions that I was kind of like, hang on, we're two adults here. We'll just make the decision. And whatever the consequences are in that decision, whatever the outcomes are, whatever the progress is, we will just deal with that as grown-ups. And there was a level of discomfort in that that I remember kind of watching it at the time, just going, this is freaking weird. Yeah. But again, that whole thing cycles back again where you go, well, that's the way it is in their family. So, you know, I just have to accept that. And yeah, and Mm -hmm. you don't. I think the lesson that I learned, Karen, was trust your gut and really the imagined consequence that we create in our own head of being brutally honest and facing a problem, fear is, there's nothing to fear except fear itself. And that's just a little picture that we create create in our heads of what's going to be the consequence if I stand up to this behaviour. Oh, okay, well, this is going to be the consequence, so I'm better just to shut up. Yeah, and let's talk about some of the consequences because I'm sure as he tried over, because you said you were together 12 years. So I would imagine that there were efforts and you did move away from where his folks lived. And I'm sure those efforts, what were the consequences though? Because I am quite sure that there was a lot of backlash when he would try to assert some appropriate boundaries, when he would try to behave in a manner that is befitting of a man who is married to a woman and therefore needs to put her first. And as you pointed out, your your conversations and your decisions about what you choose to do as a married couple, really the parents have no say in them. It's really none of their business. But what happened? What kind of backlash did he experience that I'm sure was very painful for you to watch and also maddening at the same time? Yeah. I think what what is one of the things that I've truly remembered now, again, that I'm standing back from the multi-car pileup of my relationship and kind of going, oh, that's when that happened. Right. But the, the signs were not always obvious. And I think that's where the subtleties and the, and they don't call it emotional incest for nothing, right? The, right. The, the, the kind of sub-level and underground way that this really quite screwed up dynamic operates is that often the outcomes of challenging that loyalty bound bind and and challenging those boundaries or putting boundaries in place are not they're not you know up in lights obvious but what they tend to be is there is a simmering level of anger within a mother enmeshed man at the frustration that he feels for the stranglehold that his mother won't release. And that flows into your relationship and affects so many little things that all add up to quite big things. 
that eventually it implodes and you kind of go, I am not living this shit anymore. Well, you mentioned anger at the mother, which is perfectly justified. And I would also imagine there would be a lot of self-anger and self-loathing even because the man at some point recognizes that he is not manning up and standing up to his mother now in his 20s and 30s when he's married. And he knows in his heart and in his head that his loyalty should be to his wife and yet he can't muster up the courage to be the loyal, devoted husband he knows he should be because that pull from his mother is just so strong. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that he has certainly discovered in, you know, the last couple of years is just how strong that magnetic pull of that loyalty bind is. An example, a couple of years ago, my mum passed away and we were within a couple of, within sort of under two hours driving distance from where his family is Um, because we'd gone to where my mum had been. She'd been living with my brother for the last couple of years of her life. She had dementia. So, you know, dementia is one of those weird deaths. It's kind of this relief, but it's sad, but it's still a death and it's still a loss. Now, in a normal situation, you would kind of go, husband and wife stick together like, you know, peanut butter and a sandwich in in that kind of situation. You know, they don't deviate from each other in those really challenging grief-fueled times because the partner that's grieving you know, needs the support, needs the emotional connection, the physical hugs, all of that sort of stuff to kind of journey through that grief. So we'd been in the location where my brother and my mum had just passed away and um, within 12 hours of us being in that location, which was not far from where my ex's parents were, and at this stage we were still together but things were quite tenuous, his family rang and said, oh, you need to come and help us with whatever was going on for them at the time. And this, again, it's that it's that transferal of circumstance mm-hmm. that, you know, weighs so heavily on their guilt and their need to help and support and constantly be involved in everything that's going on in the family life. And I kind of was half listening to the conversation and I, 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 he got off the phone and he said, oh, they really need my help. I, I better go. And... Mm. <laughs> I was just kind of like, sure, whatever. Right. Like by that stage I think I had reached a point where I had no fight left in me to continue to try and solve or or collectively solve a problem if there wasn't a recognised kind of behavioural change and for me, that was, um, you know, that was probably the biggest red flag of all. <laughs> I just went, right, okay, so my mum's just died and you've got to run away and support your family where no one's dying. Well, and at that point, like you said, you were so beaten down with trying to say, hi, over here, I'm the wife. And literally, like you said, in the darkest moments when couples, stick together. That is the whole point of being in partnership. If you're, you might as well have been single, right? Which is fine. But for those women, as you know, many in my community have been single for a lot longer than they anticipated. And I was as well. And one of the points of having partnership is that you had to do all those things alone when you were single and then you don't. And it's this beautiful part of being married. And yet 
that support was ripped away from you. And I can't help but think that there was some intentional, that the timing was just so, so coincidental that they had to have him right then. And yeah. again, probably his mother, and I'm not trying to get in her head, but a little bit just to kind of flesh out the dynamics that we see you needing him in a particularly profound time and in a profound way would be exactly the time that she would want to test to see where his loyalty lay. Yeah. And look, I don't, again, the compassionate side of me kind of says, you know, he needs to take some ownership and responsibility there because sure, she could have asked that, but he could have also said, no, I need to be here to support my wife. Absolutely. You know, I do have, as I've said, enormous compassion and I I don't think that any of this behaviour really is established in any real degree of conscious malice. I think it's just that's all they know, so that's what they think is normal. And that's where it becomes really confronting and and almost untenable in the end obviously that it that that definitely is what it became for me because if if you have been raised in a way that you know that that just would not happen in my family i remember i was 19 when my brother got married and i remember a conversation that he had with my brother a couple of days before they got married and they're still happily married they've been together for like oh god that's many years, like 30 plus years. And my my dad said to my brother, you need to understand that from this time forth, your number one priority is your wife. Anything that happens with your mother and I and your sister is second priority. Yes. He said, and that is the key to a successful marriage. He said, it doesn't mean that your family doesn't matter anymore, but your family is now your wife. And I kind of look at that as a direct parallel to the way my ex's family kind of behaved, which was I don't I don't think I ever felt as though there was, hey, you know, what you guys do comes first and everything else doesn't matter. We'll just we'll get by. And and if there was that kind of comment, there was so much manipulation and guilt loaded into that statement of, oh no, we'll be fine. You know, we've got this, this, this and this happening, but we'll be fine. You know, yeah. it'd be easier if you'll be here, but we'll be fine. Right. The martyr comes out. Oh, oh yeah. Do what's best for you and your wife. Oh, vomit. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's the fear, it's the control. It's, it's so sad. Ultimately, what your father told your brother is such that just reflects so much health, so yeah. much security. Because when a father says that to a son, it's such a gift to say, you go be the man I raised you to be. Absolutely. Be loyal and faithful and committed and loving to your wife. And that is going to honor me as your father. And it honors your family. And then when you, it gives gives so much freedom and permission that I'm sure all it does is make your brother want to do all the things that he should as a husband, and then also be excited to spend time with his family when he's able, because there's not any of the guilt and the manipulation and the game playing. Absolutely. And, you know, our family was never, and and again, this is not me going, well, my family did this and his family did that. <laughs> that I just, you know, it's not a competition. But yeah. I think 
you know, what I kind of recognised along the way. And my dad passed away uh, before I had met my partner. So Mm. there was no real chance for that kind of connection, unfortunately. He, you know, had a massive heart attack and died very suddenly. But I just know that I reflect on the healthiness of our family dynamic in that, you know, from the time that I, I left home when I was 18 to go to uni, And other than a quick stopover in between moving from one capital city to another on the east coast of Australia, I never went and lived with my parents ever again. And in that time that I stopped over, we had a family farm and I was helping dad with some cattle fences one day and he was like, so uh, how are your job applications going, mate? (laughs) (laughs) Like I I love you. Thanks for the help with the farm, but also... You've got a life. Let's step yeah, into it. Exactly. And, you know, the way my parents had set up their retirement, because they retired quite early in their sort of early to mid 50s. And, you know, it was a beautiful two bedroom kind of farm cottage that I squeezed into the spare bedroom. And it was lovely to see them and lovely to be there. But I wanted to get the hell out as well because yes. I'd lived a very independent adult life for probably the best part of nine years by that stage. And I remember dad saying to me, it's really nice to have you here, but don't get too comfortable. <laughs> right. I mean, all of that is just such good parenting. I, I did my dissertation on individuation from family of origin and identity development. So really everything that you're describing is what the family systems literature suggests is really the, the healthiest way because what it does is it communicates to the young person and now you, and you had the sense too, like, I'm not trying to stay here forever either, but it (laughs) communicates to the young adult, I believe in your ability to launch. And what parents don't understand when they're like, oh, you know, rents are really expensive right now and it's really hard to get a job, the market, inflation. So I guess my 20 something can stay at home for three, four, 10 years. They don't understand that what they're communicating to their young person is we don't really think you can manage adult life without us and that they need to be needed as parents because that adult, that young person launching is so threatening to them. But it's so twisted because the job of a parent is to work yourself out of a job. Exactly. So your your parents rested in the confidence of knowing that they equipped equipped you with everything you needed and that they did their job and they could just sit back and watch you fly and soar and How thrilling. And just, again, I'm just struck by how healthy it is. I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events. And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. I have to ask about your ex now, because when I think about all the dynamics we've spoken to, even the anger toward his mother, also that anger turned inward. I'm quite sure that he had some self-loathing at times because he knew he wasn't manning up. Did this, did this generalize to other domains, to his work, to his friendships? I'm just curious, apart from your relationship, did you see some of this mother-enmeshed man dyma- dynamics, some of these dynamics playing out in other realms? It did, yeah. I think 
he he very much stayed connected to the hometown in terms of, you know, we did move around a little bit because when I first met him, I was like, you're actually really intelligent. Why are you not applying your skills and your experience to a project management capacity and actually building a career instead of, and it's not, I will never put down just having a trade, but, you know, one of the things about being a tradesman is that you need to have a future plan. You can't be climbing ladders for the rest of your life. You can't be digging drains for the rest of your life. You need to have a plan of how that's going to work for you in an environment that, you know, you're 50 plus, you've got arthritis or, or whatever, but you need yes. to have a forward plan, right? And so together we worked on an incredible strategy that was super successful for probably seven years where he really stepped into his own of actually recognizing what he was capable of. Mm -hmm. In amongst all of that, though, there was the constant undermine and the constant, can't you come back? Can't you come back? Can't you come back to the hometown? So everywhere that we went, most of the friendships that were established were via me. He didn't naturally gravitate to um, okay, well, I need to go and, you know, make some mates. And look, I recognise that it's not easy for some people to get out and meet people. The older that you get, the more difficult that becomes, the more established friendship circles are and everything. But again, that's just rooted in your own fear and there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Like, so what if you go to a sailing club or a gym and, you know, you don't meet anyone for a couple of weeks? You might meet someone on week six, but he would withdraw more within himself and what I kind of found over time was that he just found more and more reasons to be more and more withdrawn and I think that happened in parallel Karen with me going this behavior is not normal we need to work on this we need to understand what's going on and we need to address it because I don't want to continue to live this ping pong of a life that you're constantly feeling the need to be connected to your family and they're 1200 kilometers away and you've got your own life but I think that's where the danger and the the real sadness is for a mother enmeshed man is that they will always spring back to that magnet of the loyalty bind with their family and that's invariably where they end up again. So they, they, their, their ability to individuate and to actually truly establish their own life is quite temporary. And to the extent that he started to step into that, that space and to start to embrace his own life, it was because you were motivating him. So in a sense, he moved from mom running the show to you running yep. his show. <laughs> Again, another bingo moment, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I say that with such sadness, though. It just, it makes me sad because I think about how infantilizing it is for a young adult or a middle-aged adult because this stuff just just doesn't go away just because we grow. I mean, it just makes me sad because the potential of a person to step into the fullness of who they are meant to be, it will never happen unless these issues are addressed in a, in a deep way and at a deep level. And it sounds like 
though you finally did have that clarifying moment with that counselor, clearly he wasn't able to move through this together with you. What I'm curious when the counselor, as you described a few minutes ago, when the counselor said, this is what's going on, your mother enmeshed, you come from very deeply enmeshed family dynamics and you won't be married in a year unless you begin to sort this out. What was his response? So he did um, commit to a series of sessions with a a male psychologist who had had quite a lot of experience in enmeshment. And there were some really defined parameters that I we had agreed together would be addressed because there were things that were having, you know, a devastating effect on our marriage, our, you know, things that are just normal adult behaviours that were just continually compromised. And that had a flow-on effect of, you know, my own self-worth that I was very quick to kind of recognise and go, okay, while that's trying to be addressed, I really need to make sure that I'm kind of putting up my own shit shield and shit shield are such a good thing. It's like this imaginary kind of Darth Vader shield where you go, right, anything that's really shit that comes into my life, I'm just going to have the power to be able to deflect it, take it on, but then deflect it and kind of keep going. Mm-hmm. So in that sort of time frame, once it became very evident what we were dealing with and I started to do a lot of my own research, like, you know, I read the Dr. Kenneth Adams book and Silently Seduced and there's there's not a massive amount of publications around about enmeshment, but I got my hands on whatever I could and once I kind of then realised the multiple layers that we were dealing with, I was kind of like, okay, well, in your therapy journey with um, this psychologist that you're going to work with, can you please address these things so we can start to see some movement, improvement and light back in our relationship? Because if I can't start to see that, then, you know, this darkness can't last forever for me because that is just not who I am. And as a partner of a mother enmeshed man, you become so adept at what I call the dog and pony show, which is, hey, everything's fine. We're all good here, which is so, so, so devastatingly bad for you. So in those therapy sessions, um, I wasn't necessarily seeing any changes. So I kind of asked him about, you know, how do you think it's going? And his response was, I think I'm really starting to get a much better relationship with my mother. Oh, my gosh. Now, what he meant in that was he felt that he was getting the strength to be able to stand up to her or to actually say, no, that's not acceptable for you to continue to have an opinion on my life. But the bare rawness of how that came out of, oh, I think I'm getting a better relationship with my mother, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what am I, chopped liver? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And so, yeah. I hear what you're saying, that that's what he meant, but goodness, at that point, for him to choose those words, I, oh. It's, so I think, you know, for me, Karen, the, the, the damage pile kind of added up over the years and I think instead of being numb to the things that were happening that became these sort of strangely acceptable traits and behaviours, I was becoming more and more aware, powered with knowledge, because I think, you know, the more you can read, the more that you can listen to podcasts like yours, 
you know, connect with lots of different opinions about narcissism and all sorts of things that may not be directly related to enmeshment, but there are elements that are familiar to the behaviour that you're that you're you're faced with in your relationship. That's when you kind of go, this crap has got to stop, otherwise I'm done. Yeah, it's yeah, again, it's 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 so such a sad topic because we can have all the potential in the world, but if we're not willing to dig in and do some work, and granted, some of us have work that's harder than others, to be fair. There's these bonds are very, very strong and powerful and so crippling and debilitating as well. Yeah, and look, I think what I faced within myself was what is the worst thing that can happen here? Okay, I end up on my own. That's okay. That's not going to be forever. And even if it is forever, then that's okay as well. And one of the things that I have as a, you know, I have a, as a screensaver on my phone, I sometimes, you know, have, there's a couple of people that are uh, good friends that they've recorded their ringtone for me and if it's not okay, that's okay because at the end of the day it will be okay. And if it's not, I'm still here, so it's okay. So, you know, you kind of have this positive reinforcement that whatever the outcome is, you'll be okay. And I would rather the okay of being on my own and having a very clear path of emotional self-worth and safety outside of that suffocation of enmeshment then continuing to pretend that that was, you know, acceptable, it was okay and, you know, that's my lot and whatever because that's just, there. That, that that's no way to live. You are literally surviving, not thriving. I love that you said that's no way to live because as you were describing that suffocating feeling, I'm sure that in the midst of how painful it was to extricate yourself from that from this marriage, which you're, you're doing right now, I'm sure there was a part though, where that suffocating feeling that there was a bit of freedom where you could breathe again, knowing that this sad, sad, these, these very sick. And I say that again with compassion here, but they're, those are sick dynamics. They're very unhealthy and you are now not part of them anymore. And goodness knows you did your best for 12 years to do what you could. And then you have to say, I need to move on. Absolutely. And be the happy person I'm designed to be. And if that's single and solo, fine. And I probably you won't be because most people who desire a partnership eventually find that. And you will have learned so much from this that you will take with you and you will be stronger. And all those cliches are true. <laughs> when Nietzsche said, right, what doesn't kill us make us stronger. And even though we're like, I really don't want to be stronger then because this is feeling like it's going to kill me. But, but Jody, I want to thank you so much. As we wrap up, what would be your words of advice or encouragement for someone to, uh, to if, if they find themselves in a relationship with a mother enmeshed man, what are your thoughts or even some of the red flags that might be waving early on that they might miss, what would you leave with the listeners to to share what you've been through and the wisdom that you've you've gained from your experience with them? Yeah, I think the the red flags are there for a reason and don't don't switch them onto mute when they're flapping in your face. They there is there is a, a female instinct, I think, and an intuition of 
things that just don't feel right. And if you can't have honest and frank conversations about those behavioural traits and the way those dynamics make you feel in the beginning, then imagine how difficult it's going to be when you've established a bit of a pattern, a bit of a, you know, comfort zone. Those red flags will still be flapping and your gut will still be telling you that this is wrong. Don't beat yourself up about the trust and the compassion and the love that you entered the relationship with because that is who you are. And the fact that you have somehow crossed paths with someone who is potentially not the emotionally mature profile of person that you are deserving of, it doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them a person who's not right for you. Mm -hmm. And I think recognising that early and facing that fear of the imagined consequence is far better than living in the fear or living in the daily grind of a dynamic that's just not healthy for your own self-worth, for your own adult needs, for your own future. Because we get one life, right? And it's short. And I certainly do not want to be sitting around at the age of 75 going, Jesus, I wasted so much time on something that was never going to change that really wasn't right for me. And I think the bravest thing you can do and the hardest thing you can do is actually just walk away. I'm just struck by how what you say is so poignant and and directed to those who are in a relationship with someone who's enmeshed with their family. But also, these are words to live by for all of us because really what you've learned generalizes to wisdom that applies to so many different domains and will truly empower us. And on that note, I really would love for you to invite listeners to to your platform. How can they connect with you? Because again, I think, Jody, I don't know what God has in store for you in this life, but I do feel that you have this deep wisdom that I think women could be the beneficiaries of, even if they weren't in a particularly enmeshed scenario. But I just, I'm so, so struck by what you have to offer. And so let them know how to follow you and connect with you if they'd like to. Oh, thank you. Um, so I have an Instagram handle called Enmeshment Truths, Enmeshment underscore Truths. And that also connects to my Facebook page of the same name. And what I share there is just my insights and experiences of what it's been like to kind of face, deal, identify and ultimately extract myself from a relationship with a mother enmeshed man. So there's some days where there's some really tough stories to read, but my my mission with that page is to give people a platform to see, feel, read and know that they are absolutely not alone. Theirs is not the only dysfunctional yeah. mother enmeshed relationship in the yes. world. I think this is a problem that is way more common than we realize. Indeed. Thank you again so much, Jody. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm just really thrilled to be able to share your work with my community. Oh, it's been an absolute, I, I feel privileged to be on your podcast, Karen, and I love following all of your wisdom and insights. It gives me inspiration on a daily basis. So thank you for bringing me into your tribe. Oh my, thank you. The love and life hack for this week is 
and I'll borrow from Jody's father. Once you're married, your spouse comes first, period. And if parents will not respect this, that's not love, that's enmeshment. Thanks as always for listening. We appreciate you sharing an hour of your day with us. Don't forget to take advantage of our promo code for any purchase from Sapan. The code is love and life for 15% off all purchases. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.